0: We'll Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sugar Creek. We are so thankful that you are with us in person today or watching us online. My name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I have the honor of serving as the pastor of the Spanish ministry here. And I want to thank our lead pastor for the opportunity to share with you today as he takes some well-deserved time off. And I encourage you to pray for him that this will be a time of refreshing. So did you know that identity theft is actually on the rise? According to the FTC, an amazing 45% increase occurred between 2019 and 2020. Another group that studies this thing uh, of identity crimes uh, is the IT group. And the IT group said that in 2020, about 40% Uh, 47% of all Americans experience some kind of identity theft. And what's even more concerning is that according to those same stats, they only catch about 0.14% of the criminals that actually uh, do identity theft. That's one in 700 people. So let me ask you, how many of you have ever been the victim of an identity theft or know of someone that has gone through it? And uh, raise your hand for a second there. Lot of hands going up. Put a comment online if you uh, are in that same situation. And, and let me tell you, this really hits home for me because I've been experiencing this. Last year, someone from Ohio stole information from one of my credit cards and went ahead and made several cash withdrawals, unauthorized cash withdrawals under my name. And for my wife and for me, it's been a nightmare dealing with the credit card company, convincing them that we weren't the ones that did it. And it's affected my credit score and so many things. And what I've learned in the process is that one of the worst things that you could ever go through is having your identity stolen. Now, here's the shocking truth. Every single one of us in here, every single one of us watching us online, you have already had your identity stolen. Now I'm not talking about credit cards anymore. I'm talking about something deeper. I'm talking about something more important. I'm talking about your true identity and what we have around us are forces that are trying to convince us that our stolen identity is not a big deal. And that we can redefine our identity in something else. And so, the very first truth that we need to arrive to this morning is this. That our culture is constantly trying to redefine who we are. Our culture is constantly trying to redefine who we are. It happens very subtly almost in an imperceptible way it happens through politics and it happens through education it happens through social media it happens all around us many different areas that are trying to convince us that our stolen identity is not a big deal And the reason why this is so important for you and for me is because our identity is one of those essential things that we cannot live without. So the question begs, what is an identity? Well, according to psychologists, an identity has to do with answering one of the most important questions that we can can ask, and that is, who am I? Who am I? And from that question, the answer that we give to that question flows so many other important things, things such as our value or the choices that we make or our purpose in life. And so our culture, our society today has been trying to convince us that we can redefine our identity based on other external factors, that we can base our identity on our ethnicity, we can base our identity on our gender, we can base our identity on our sexuality, or our appearance. And this is something that has been occurring in our nation and in the world for quite a while, but it is, it is happening most of all with the younger generations. And that's why sadly, we find at every major university, there's a department of critical studies of uh, ethnicity or race, gender, and sexuality. And so by this, what we've come to understand is that when we center our identity on some type of external factor, some type of physical trait, none of this actually can be our identity. And that's the reason why when we talk about this, we come to the conclusion that Uh, when it comes to our identity, this is something that cannot be determined by an external factor. In fact, an externality cannot determine, cannot determine who you are. It cannot determine your identity An externality cannot determine your identity. So all of these things are important, but none of them can take the place of who you truly are. See, when we start making our identity our ethnicity or our gender or our sexuality, what happens in the end is that we come up empty and frustrated and more divided as a nation and at odds with each other, such as we've seen over the past few years. Because the reality is that when you go down the path of making your ethnicity your identity, what happens then is that you you start looking down at other people from a different ethnicity. And you start acting as though some people should be ashamed of their ethnicity. When you wrap your identity around your gender, then you start seeing those from the opposite gender as your enemy. When you wrap your identity around your sexuality, then you start over-celebrating and be filled with pride while at the same time demeaning those of a different sexuality. See, no physical attribute, no externality can actually take the place of our identity. And when we do this as a society, it fails spectacularly in trying to bring justice and peace and unity in our society. See, how did we get here? The way we got here is because over the course of time, our society has been um, becoming more and more secular, materialistic, and as a result, it's been pushing God out of every aspect of life. And when we do that, the only thing that we have left It's physical attributes, but none of them are good enough to give us an identity, our true identity. But it's not only an externality. There's other things as well that people choose to make their identity. Some people base their identity on what other people think of them. And others choose to do it based on their accomplishments. But here's a thing that we know as well from our experience. What we do cannot determine who we are. What you do cannot determine who you are. So, so many people are tempted to base their identity around the opinion of other people. I think that this has only been exacerbated by social media. And I think that that's behind, this is what's behind the exaggerated amount of selfies that we find Across social media. And the incredible amount of filters and retakes that you have to take as you're posting your pictures online. Because in the end, what is behind it is that you are trying to be validated by the opinion of other people. But it's not only that. Other people choose to center their identity around their accomplishments. Some people look at it as from the perspective of what they are good at. The things that they can accomplish in life. But the problem is that just with an externality, neither of these two can actually define who we are. Really help us to understand our true identity. Because what happens when you get a negative comment online if you're basing your identity on other people's opinion? What What happens when you get a dislike or an unfollow What happens when instead of going through an accomplishment, you go through a failure in life, or you acquire some type of physical disability, or you're born with a physical disability? If your identity is based on any of these things, then your entire world comes crashing down because they were never meant to be who we truly are. It reminds me of something that happened to Ronda Rousey a few years ago. Ronda Rousey had been named by Sports Illustrated magazine as the most dominant athlete in the world. And there was a good case to be made about it because she was the youngest uh, US woman to qualify for the Olympics in judo. She also was the first US woman to win a medal in the Olympics. During her time practicing judo, she was a world champion top three contender at all time and dominated her opponents. And when she transitioned over into MMA fighting, she continued to dominate the fighters she faced with an incredible 12-0 run. And what's so impressive about that run is that only one of her opponents ever survived the first round. In fact, eight of her 12 opponents lost her fight in less than one minute. She was truly dominating, but then on her seventh title defense, despite being the heavy favorite, she lost. And she lost badly. And right after her defeat, she was interviewed. And this is what she said. She said this, I was literally sitting there and thinking about killing myself. And at that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? And no one cares about me anymore without this. See, for Ronda Rousey, her identity was wrapped around being the most dominant athlete on the face of the earth. And once she lost this, then she thought she was nothing. She was unlovable. So let me ask you a question. What are you basing your identity on? What is your identity grounded on? See, one way of understanding what we believe about our identity is based on four I statements and each of these statements actually are revealing about what we believe about ourselves. And each of these four statements, when we say them, actually tell us about that belief that we have about who we are. The first I statement is when we say, I can, I can. And when we say I can, it goes again towards the things that we are good at, towards our achievements. We say, we say things such as, I am, uh, I, I am good in business or, or I'm good at sports or I do business well or I'm good in school. Whatever it is, it talks about the things that we can do. Those things that we're talented at, that we are gifted at. A second thing that we use as an I statement to base our identity on is when we say, I have. I have. So many people are tempted to wrap their identity around their possessions, around their belongings. And so many people see themselves, who they are, based on the clothes they wear, based on the car that they drive, based on the home that they own, based on the amount of money that they make, or the money that they have in the bank, or the places that they go and vacation. And that becomes their identity. The next one, the third one, has to do with the things that not only that we like, but it's also the thing, or the things actually that we like, not that only that we have, but that we like. And when we talk about the things that we like, these are associated to the things that appeal to us. So in our world, we talk about, I like traveling, or I like trying new foods, or we say things like, I like this music group, or this singer, or this movie, or this, uh, this uh, other thing in my life, such as a YouTuber, or whatever it is that just simply appeals to us, it's associated with our identity. A fourth and a last one has to do with I am, I am. And normally when we use this, this phrase, I am, it has to do with things such as our career. We say, when we introduce ourselves, I am an accountant, I'm an engineer. Or it could also refer to, for example, the academic titles that we have. I am Dr. So-and-so, or I have this amount of letters uh, right after my name. Or it can also be based on beauty and fitness and the way that we appear before other people. Or it has to do with our social status of being popular or being well-off. Any of these things can become our identity. And the problem again is that none of these were actually meant to be who you are. Each one fails spectacularly at bringing realization, purpose, and value in our life. So, because of this, because of the fact that all of these things in the end fail at bringing our value bringing our purpose one thing that we need to realize is this that we cannot redefine our identity we can only receive our identity we cannot redefine our identity we cannot redefine who we are we can only receive our identity and when we come to understand this truth then we see how much Scripture is so important for understanding who we are. On the very first page of the Bible, the very first thing that God does when he creates human beings is that he gives us an identity and then he gives us a purpose that is directly linked to our identity. And that identity is based not on physical attributes, not on our accomplishments, but it's based on who he is rather than who we are. And so for most of you, you already know this passage, but what I'm asking you to do today is that you look at it through the lens of identity and look at what it says in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28. It says, then God said, let us make man or humanity in our image. According to our likeness, this would be our identity. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. This would be our purpose. So God created man or humanity in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. This is one of the most profound truths that has ever been written. It is the basis of who we are as human beings. It is the basis of morality and ethics. It's the basis of our society and who we are as humanity. And so... What it tells us is that our incredible creator, when he made us, he gave us an identity that was based not on who we are, not on our ethnicity, not on our gender, not on our sexuality or accomplishments, things that can one way or another be diminished or can be lost, but it was based on who he is rather than on who we are. And by doing that, he elevated the value of every single human being. Every person is valuable because they have been created in the image of God. It's what people call the Imago Dei. And because of this, no one should try to redefine their identity. No one should try to take another person's identity because only God can give us our identity. I love the way That CS Lewis, the great British author and thinker, as he was, he was meditating, he was reflecting on the image of God in our, in our lives, how this impacts who we are. And in one of his books, the weight of glory, he talks about this and he says it this way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Why? Every single human being has been created in the image of God. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, the things that we worship today, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously, no flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. See, when you come to understand who you are in light of your identity, in the image of God, it changes absolutely everything. And our incredible creator decided that your identity was gonna be based on who he is rather than on who we are. Now, we, we know the rest of the story. We know that despite humanity living in a perfect garden known as Eden, we decided to make a decision in which we would reject God's identity and we would redefine our identity in other things. And so in Genesis chapter three, it tells us exactly what happened. Look at what it says in verses one through five. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden?" The woman said to the serpent, now, "We may eat. We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but..." about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, you must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. (laughs) No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, what Satan did is that he tempted us so that we would reject our identity in God, in his image. And rather than that, that we would live out our identity and our purpose in ourselves. And so God, who had created us to represent him, The idea of his image and his purpose was that wherever a human being was to go around the earth, they would represent not their desires, but God's desires. Not their will, but God's will. And by that way, the entire earth would be filled with God's will and God's purpose. But instead of that, every single one of us that day chose to reject God and redefine who we are. And you can say, well, well, wait a minute, Juan Carlos. I wasn't there, I know I might look old, but I wasn't there at the Garden of Eden. And the reality is this, that Adam and Eve actually represented what each of us do on a daily basis. So we've all rejected. And as a result, sin entered into the world, sin entered into mankind. And this is what happened that sin carried out the greatest identity theft in history. Sin carried out the greatest identity theft in history. And so as a result of that, we have been on a futile endeavor to try to redefine who we are based on our race, based on our gender, based on uh, sexuality and physical attributes and purpose and all these things. And in the end, we're left empty and frustrated because none of these things can truly be who we are. And our great creator, our incredible God, had every right to punish us and leave us to our own devices, allow us to suffer the consequences of our own rebellion. But instead of that, incredibly, he decided that he would step down from his throne, come down to this earth to become one of us, sacrifice his life in order to give us an opportunity for our identity, our true identity in him to be restored. And so, as a result of that we come to understand this incredible truth and it's this that our identity is revealed in the image of god but it is renewed in the image of christ our identity is revealed every single human being is revealed in the image of god But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your savior, then it is renewed in the image of Christ. And so the apostle Paul almost 2000 years ago, as he's reflecting on this incredible truth of the image of Christ in every single person that has placed their faith in Christ as their savior and forgiveness of their sins, he's writing this letter to a group of Christians in a city called Colossae around the Mediterranean Sea, what is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them, as he is to us as well, and he's trying to help us understand three responses that we need to have, three responses to Christ's image in us. And when he talks about these three responses to Christ's image in us, he says this first. He says that the very first response we need to have when we come to understand Christ's image in us being our identity, the first thing is that you need to focus on Christ, who is your life. Focus on Christ, who is your life. Focus on Jesus, who is your life. And so Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verses one through four. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things above. If you have a new identity in him, start seeking the things that are centered on Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or minds on things above, not on earthly things, not your old identity. So you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We focus on Jesus because he is our life, and he is the source of our identity. And what this means is that life is not about finding ourselves. Life is about finding ourselves in Jesus. And when we understand that truth, it changes absolutely everything. But Paul continues, and he says that a second response that we need to have to understanding How the image of Christ is being renewed in us is this. Abandon your old sinful identity. Abandon your old sinful identity. Listen to the way that Paul talks about this. Verses 5 through 9. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desire, and greed which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, when this used to be your identity. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self or your old identity with its practices. So Paul compares it, the second step, the second response, as us removing clothes, clothes that are dirty, clothes that are soiled, in order for us to allow the image of Christ to be renewed in us. Kind of reminds me of what happened during the height of the pandemic, I remember when I would go to the store or I would go to a public venue, as soon as I came back to the house, I would take off those clothes, put on some new clothes in order to not bring any contamination into the house. Well, Paul is saying the exact same thing, spiritually speaking. Your old identity doesn't, doesn't define who you are. It's not society that should tell you who you are. It's not culture who should tell you who you are. You are no longer bound to your old ways, old habits, and old practices of your old identity. And so Paul tells us a last response, a third and last response. And the third thing that he says is live out your new identity in Christ. Live out your new identity in Christ. Listen to you. Um, listen to what he says. He says in verses 10 and 11, and have put on your new self, your new identity. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is no Greek and Jew circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. You've been given a new identity. And the idea is to allow this identity to become the most important thing about who we are. And when we come to understand who we are in Christ, it changes absolutely everything. It reminds me of a story that took place a couple of years ago. And there was this gentleman whose name is Jay Spates. And just like so many other people, he wanted to know where he, his family comes from. So he signed up to one of these ancestry-type companies. He did the whole DNA test, sent his DNA in. And then about a couple of days later, he got a buzz on his phone at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when he read the message, he couldn't believe it. He looked at it again, looked at it a third time, and finally he rolled over and he told his wife, I am a prince. I'm a prince. Imagine, imagine discovering that. And he couldn't believe it because he worked as a pastor in Maryland. I think maybe us pastors, we have to send in our DNA tests. And he, he discovered he's a prince, but... He was raised in New Jersey, lived in an apartment, didn't even own a car, and yet he was a prince. And so he immediately got up, went to his computer, signed on to his account, and the very first words that came up was Royal DNA, Royal DNA. That's amazing. Imagine getting that. And so he did what any of us would do. He bought a ticket to go visit his country, because it turns out that he was a distant cousin from the royal line of a small country in West Africa known as Benin. And so when he got there, it took him a few minutes to realize that there were actually people waiting for him. In fact, here's a picture of him on the left in his royal garb, but on the right, some of the people that were waiting for him at the airport. And so he didn't realize that all of the singing that was taking place, all of the dancing that was taking place, all of the the instruments that were being played was for his honor. Because what had happened was that when the royal family found out that he was going back to the country of his ancestors, they hung up banners and they had a parade and a celebration because he was home. In the same way, Your heavenly father celebrates when you have come to Jesus Christ as your savior. And all of heaven celebrates because the moment you come to put your trust in Jesus as your savior, you are given royal DNA and your identity is centered around being a son or a daughter of the highest God. And when we understand that, it changes everything. So, the last thing that we need to understand is this. Seeing ourselves in Christ, seeing who we are in Christ, strengthens who we are in life. Seeing who we are in Christ, strengthens who we are in life. So what would happen if from this moment on, you saw yourself in light of the image of your Creator And the image of your savior, how would it affect our church? If we lived out this way in our community and what it, what would be the reason why you would not start living this way starting today for some of you. This means that you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. Because maybe you've been counting on religion. Maybe you've been counting on trying to be a good person, morality or works or whatever the case is. But the reality is that none of that can actually give us an identity. It's when we come and we accept Jesus as our savior, that he forgives us of our sins and gives us a new identity based on him. And today, if that's a decision that you need to make, we wanna help you. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be ending the service and we have a place called the Next Step Center. And we invite you to go there. There'll be people, ministers there that are willing and able to help you in your next step, uh, in your, next step in your uh, journey of faith, whether it's becoming a member or whether you need prayer. And those of you that are online, there's ministers online right now. Just put a comment and someone will help you make your next decision. In your journey of faith as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you because our identity is not based on something that leaves us empty or frustrated or without purpose. You have given us an identity based on your image and a purpose that we need to carry out in this life. And for those of us who have come to know Jesus as our Savior, you are renewing the image of your son in us. Allow us to live that way in the midst of the confusion of our world, our culture, and our society. And all of these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.